0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. We are a weekly Columbus-centric podcast focusing on the civics, lifestyle, entertainment, and people of our city. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. This week... I sat down with Andrew Levitt, aka Nina West, Columbus's predominant drag queen and champion. It's been 20 years since Andrew became Nina, high time to take stock in his career and what's next. We discussed how he got started, the cultural phenomena of drag and how it relates to the black and queer experience, the importance of being resourceful and scrappy, what it's like getting on and being on Drag Race, how he manages his career, and why you should take your broken heart and turn it into art. You can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Also, the Confluence Cast is on Patreon. Find out how to support this podcast on our website, theconfluencecast.com, or at patreon.com slash confluence. The Confluence Cast is sponsored this week by Art Makes Columbus, Columbus Makes Art, Featuring stories about our city's incredible artists. Stories full of inspiration, challenge, passion, and success. For videos, articles, an up-to-the-minute calendar of events, and an artist directory, visit columbusmakesart.com. The resource for all things arts and culture in the capital city. Enjoy the interview. Sitting down here with Andrew Levitt also known as nina west andrew how are you
1: i'm well tim how are you
0: i'm good it's good to see you it's been uh at least since the before times probably a little bit longer than that yeah so you are best known as nina west you've been on drag race you've been sort of a columbus icon for years now (laughs) uh how did you get into drag
1: well, uh, first, thanks for having me today. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to see you again. It's been way too long. Uh, we haven't. It's good to see you. It's been really long, so it's really nice. <laughs> Even virtually, it's really nice to be here with you. Uh, how did I get started in drag? Um, I was uh, I was going to Denison University. Um, I was uh, a theater major. I was uh, also the president of our LGBT. Q student organization, which uh, is is still called Outlook, and um, okay, uh, and so I think what happened was we had uh, the organ, the university and this organization specifically had brought uh, drag queens in from Columbus for years, and so uh, it's one of the long, it's probably one of the longest dra- like running drag shows at a university in the country, maybe Oberlin, okay. Oberlin, maybe the longest, and Denison's right up there, which both okay. incidentally are Ohio schools, which is kind of crazy, um, right. So uh, so when I was a freshman, I remember going to my first major drag show at Denison in the student union, and it was drag queens from Columbus. And it was like Marianne Brandt and um, Janet Garrison and Dominique LaRue and um, Maria Garrison uh, were the first drag queens that I saw. And then I ran for I ran the organization, which meant – my sophomore year, it meant that I would bring drag queens in to the university. I would have to book the show at the end of the year for mm-hmm. – for the, for the organization. So I started to meet drag queens and I was like, wow, you know, this is, uh, you know, it's not anything like I thought it was. Um, these people are really actually really wonderful and um, incredible. And so then by the time my senior year came around, uh, the senior show, our last, my last time running the Denison drag show, uh, my friend Justin Garrison and I thought we should do drag. And so just kind of as a joke, I was gonna do drag that one time. And uh, leave it there. And that was like in March of 2001. Okay. (laughs) And then um, here we are all these years later. I moved to Columbus after I graduated uh, college for a short interim period. I was going to move to New York City, which is part of my story. And Mm -hmm. 9-11 happened and um, I stayed in Columbus. Uh, And uh, by that point, I'd tried drag once with Virginia. Virginia West, who's my drag mother. Mm Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, like, again, I thought it was gonna, like, I entered this drag contest that I thought was just going to be a one-off. Like it was called, who wants to be a drag queen? And it was like competing, like who wants to be a millionaire it was a really big game show at the time in 2001.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I remember. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so they did, who wants to be a
1: drag queen? And so like, it was like a contest. You could win $150 cash prize uh, which to me being like, I was trying, I was trying to get work in Columbus. I like went to work for Catco. they told me no. So I wanted creative outlet. And so I was like, well, I'll try drag, um, again, like, and, um, I won the contest and then I kind of was like, Oh, it's 150 bucks. That's awesome. And then I kind of left it there again. And then Virginia came back in July and was like, Hey, I've got this show. You should do the show. And so that's really where it started. And I started to like surround myself with a circle of friends that were primarily all drag queens and, uh, or drag entertainers or boyfriends or partners of drag queens. Like my world became deeply immersed in Columbus drag and Okay, how it started.
0: And so from the outset, there are so many sort of cultural touchstones within that, let's call it a world, like having a drag family for those that have not watched drag race, what are sort of, what's a drag family?
1: So a drag family, so it's really, it's really interesting the, the, the way this all kind of works, right. Um, for many people and like drag family, I think really this concept of family and ball culture, like these, um, and this idea of belonging to a house or uh, a group of people, mm-hmm. not blood is really deeply, uh, um, kind of related to, uh, like a black queer experience. And so we like, it's, you know, we, as it kind of has evolved in its like growth as like okay. as queer communities have evolved and grown and drag communities have evolved and grown. And so, you know, drag family is kind of, it's like the, are the people that when you, it's just like a blood family, but these, this is your chosen family. The people that watch out for you, they, 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 if you don't have food, they, they feed you, they clothe you, they teach you the ropes, they provide opportunity and access where when doors are being shut in your face. I mean, it's like, it is like a, it is a, it's a, like kind of a mother hen and her chick. Mm-hmm. She's very protective of those, and she, um, you know, is, you know, teaches, teaches sometimes with loved. It's sometimes with like hard knocks, like you know, it's just like it's just like a familial relationship, but it's with a chosen family. Um, so, when I became Virginia's drag daughter, Virginia had taken me under wing. I think I was like her first, her first kid. And the okay. rag daughter in a sense, but you know, she, she gave me her last name. So I was Nina West. Um, Nina, Nina comes from Nina Simone because I was mm-hmm. deeply in love with Nina Simone when I was in college. So, and still am, but that's where the name comes from. And then, uh, West is Virginia's last name. And so, uh, like long story short basically Virginia t- really took me under her wing she gave me a lot of opportunities she put me in shows and she really watched out for me and she advocated for me and protected me from a lot of different things and that relationship to this day is very invaluable to me even as we've like grown and things have you know like we've gone through covid and things have changed and she's still very dear to me and like I would not be where I am at without her yeah
0: and so when did you you know, I've worked with you on your podcasts and stuff, and so I before drag race, you sort of had you basically had two jobs, right? It was yeah. doing sort of bar, social media, event management kind of stuff, and then being Nina West that yeah. was your other job,
1: yeah. So, what happened? So, like, kind of the, the, the my history is that you know, yeah. I was working at Union Cafe and Access Nightclub while I was doing drag simultaneously when I first started, so I was a server. And I would, you know, and that like really benefited me. And like, I was always omnipresent and around when opportunities were there and coming. Mm -hmm. So I would be, Virginia would be bartending, I'd be serving, she'd get a call from Rajesh, the owner, and he'd be like, hey, we're gonna, we would like, we wanna get a show. She'd call him from the office down to the bar and be like, hey, we're gonna do a show. Can you book a show? And I'd be running around on the floor serving food. And she'd be like, hey, do you wanna do the show with me tomorrow night? I'd be like, sure. Like, so that's really kind of how it started. And then, um. For years, drag pageantry is a big part of the queer drag experience. Or okay. Year, I mean. So um, it's still there. Drag pageantry still exists. Um, Define that real quick. Yeah. So drag pageantry is like, there. Um, it's where basically drag queens compete in pageants that are much like Miss America or Miss USA. But okay. the, there are systems like uh, Miss Gay America, Miss Gay US of A, uh, mm-hmm. Miss Continental, Miss Entertainer of the Year um are they're called the big four and so for many years and especially in columbus and and ohio at large drag pageantry was a big deal and still is Um, yeah very big deal and you know it was and those were before drag race drag pageant title holders were the celebrities of the right like oh that's Miss Gay Ohio America or that's Miss Gay Ohio U.S. of A which you know Virginia was a former Miss Gay Ohio America and a former Miss Gay Ohio U.S. I mean like they were and so
0: when you and when you win those pageants that's again before drag race that was your ticket to like book a tour and like
1: yeah you had this idea of like oh I can like so if you win an Ohio pageant you have the ability to go around to different Ohio cities and to their gay bars and perform and entertain, which was a way to get out there if you couldn't get, if you didn't want, have an opportunity say in your city. And mm-hmm. then, so there was a lot of pressure for me to do pageantry and I didn't see myself as a pageant queen necessarily because it's like a it's like a really clean proper really straightforward about illusion for the most part right i didn't see it and i was really defining myself as a comedy queen and a camp queen and look how like i'm a big linebacker so like let's let's dress it up rather than try to hide it (laughs) so okay um so i really was trying to like shy away from drag pageantry
0: and and but Virginia was sort of a pageantry. That was her background. She,
1: she her she had a strong foot in pageantry. She had a strong foot with a theatrical background, uh, and she was show director at the bar that I was running food at. I mean, so she was so she was um, able to influence me in a lot of different areas. You know, pageantry. Mm-hmm. She never pushed me to do drag pageantry. She, it's pageantry is right for is not right for everybody. And I think she she recognized that in me, and then. In 2008, I, went, I decided, I was like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it once and get it done. And it was a really successful run. And I went and competed for National Entertainer of the Year in 2008. And I won, which changed. Why I bring that up is, is because it changed my entire um, trajectory of my drag career. So I had okay. so I thought I was like I'm not going to be a serious drag queen. Like I'm going to just do it as a hobby. I'd love to do it. I love to perform. Eventually I'll go audition for something. Eventually I'll go do theater or something. Go like, do
0: more traditional theater. Yeah,
1: I still hadn't like I still hadn't reconciled in my mind that this was a legitimate form of entertainment. I still like I was like 24 years old. Okay. And then by the time I was 30, which was entertainment in 2008, I was like, "Yeah, I got this. Like this is what I do." I'm really good at okay. it. I do this very well. Um, I love my city, si- my city means the world to me, they're giving me this platform. And so I was really set, and then drag pageantry entered my life. And I was. it changed everything. I went and did Entertainer of the Year, um, I won National Entertainer of the Year, I did this very epic evening gown that is uh, It's called The Moving Dress, and it's, it's on my YouTube huh? channel if anyone wants to see it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but the moving dress is, uh, Sia's copied the moving dress, Elvira's copied the moving dress. Um, it has, it's rooted in, many people want to say, oh, you got that from, or you got that from, and my inspiration from it when I created obviously all art is like, it, I mean, it's not. It's really it
0: derives hard. from something else. Yeah,
1: it's hard to create something original. So in my mind, I thought I was, but it comes, like, I, my inspiration for it was, though, was like these, uh, I think it was like French operetta. Where the dress would lift up and a and a small smaller version of the of the singer would come out from underneath the dress and be wearing mm-hmm. the exact same thing, um, because that was like my initial idea for the gown, and so it kind of came from this. and The the dress is actually people, and it moves and it peels away and reveals an evening gown, and then the dancers come behind and it, creates a train. like It's very epic, very like mum and chance. If you've ever seen mum and chance on like the Muppets, yeah. Channel. So that began to solidify my name in a national
0: And so you did that sorry I've seen it but you did that at the entertainer of the year competition I did that. that was I that's did when that. you sort of debuted that
1: That's right yeah that's where I wore it that was it was for that contest and Got it. Um I won that pageant and it changed everything it legitimized me in a much bigger way I toured the country mm-hmm. promoting the pageantry system um I met I made Contacts that lasted forever, including many people that went on to do Drag Race long before I did, and so like mm-hmm. I began to form these relationships that were would absolutely come back to me on my journey, and so that changed everything. And I remember coming home from winning Entertainer of the Year and calling my boss and saying, "Hey, I need to. I think I'm going to need to work part time, and so I can focus on drag." Right. Well, that changed. That also was like a nail. That for me, it was that decision haunted me for many years because they never would bring me back full time. And I was like struggling to, oh, you're worried about that. Oh my God. I was really, okay. I was financially struggling to pull together my personal life to do the drag and mm-hmm. be able to work. And I was, I had time to work and I was like, please bring me back full time. Like, Oh yeah. And it's, of course it was like a, a thriving uh, business, right? It's like <laughs> still a huge business. And it's, um, so that was like one of those things that but in the long term of the story benefited me because I learned how to really focus on being uh resourceful, being mm-hmm. scrappy, like really like uh figuring out how to make my ends meet without that income and really pouring myself into drag. Um okay. drag became everything. So by the time I would say I drag. I went off to film Drag Race in 2018. I would say by 2014, so 2008, I won Entertainer of the Year. I gave it up in 2009. I toured around through 2010, so I toured for a good solid two years. Came back to like, it was always working in Columbus in the meantime, you know, doing my big shows mm-hmm. and doing bar appearances. But like, I was really trying to schedule in these moments to get out of Columbus to meet make connections to be seen and then okay. um very similar to what
0: an actor does yeah i mean it's I, it's, it's it's exactly the same it's thing same like thing. It's hey like- i gotta go out and do pilot season or hey it's really important for me to be around for this event like it yeah, you can thanks. if people are familiar with that it's very similar
1: yeah you there is um there is something about the world of, perf- of performance art that requires you to have a deeper understanding of, of other things. It's so you have to leave to come back. Like you can't, yeah. it's really hard to do that, right? So, um, so I was just really at this point in my life, by 2014, 15, I was comfortable enough that I could have quit my job, but I didn't for fear of the other shoe falling, right? So I was like, right. okay, like, I it was ingrained in me by my parents, like, hey, like, you can't just like, theater might not work out. You're gonna right. have a backup plan, and that's something I'm really envious of. Like my younger, uh, like young, this, this next generation, like they're like, I don't need a backup plan. This is what I'm doing. If this doesn't work, I'll figure it out. Like, kind right. of like, yeah. but it's gonna. But they're very resilient in that. They like, they're just like, it's just gonna work. And like, I wasn't raised like that. So yeah, but
0: is that? I am very much of that philosophy, as at least financially you can't have all your eggs in one basket. You need a little bit of, whether that's money in the bank or just another skill you have of, hey, if this passion doesn't work out, I can always go and do copywriting or I can always go and spin up a website for somebody. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: I would agree with that. I think the the lesson I learned that I am grateful for and that maybe you have as well is that I'm very, again, like I said, resourceful. I know mm-hmm. how to do a lot of things. Um, some of them I do really well. Some of them I do okay. Right. I, I still can do it. And so, like, if it didn't, if this didn't work out, I would have the ability and talent to segue to something else.
0: And so, what changed in 2014 15 that you just you had enough?
1: I was, Tim, I was, I was, I'm a workhorse. I was working nonstop. So, from the okay. time of really 20, I would say 2012, I was doing shows five or six nights, six nights a week up until really basically I left for Drag Race. I mean, I was like, if I, if, some, if there was something to do, I wanted to do it because I needed yeah. to, I, I had this very innate fear that I wasn't, like I wasn't going to be able to do it. Like I can't like I, and i got and I was really feeling like I had to figure it out.
0: Were you concerned that, Hey, I don't want to waste this opportunity because I might be past my prime, or oh. that you weren't going to, literally, going to physically be able to perform. What was the the worry?
1: Uh, I think there's a lot of that. I mean, like, uh, okay. uh, we are uh, there's a lot of ageism, especially in drag. I mean, I'm 42 now, which is not old, but in the world of drag, it is. Like, I'm I'm, I'm on the older side of this the scale. Okay. So, like, there's a lot of ageism in drag, but that you know, there's a lot of I mean, and it's also, to be quite honest with you, it's also super, it's not a very um, consistent industry. I was lucky in a, to be in a position of consistency because I was, I had privilege. I was, as a show director, I was like, I had the ability to, for like, first pick at gigs. Like, I and I recognize.
0: Uh-huh. And, and are you saying there, like, you would book a touring drag queen at Axis and...
1: So, like, I mean, yeah, but there was like, a, there was a schedule. So, like, we would have... But you
0: could put yourself onto a show with a touring person. Yeah. Yeah. Which, hence, it's a Columbus audience. And then you were able to... When did you start doing, like, Heels of Horror? Like, the stuff where you produce the whole thing and it's actually just Columbus people.
1: So, the big shows... Started for me in two thousand three, I think, or two thousand four. So like it was, those were always being called very early on. Very early on, yeah. Virginia okay. trusted me with um, my first main state show in two thousand three. I did, Nino S. Network News, and then on two thousand four, it was a, yeah, it was a like a, it was like a cabaret review, <laughs> and then in two thousand four was the first heels of horror, and we um, came back to like it was a, something I left. I was like oh no one likes Halloween. It was actually a really terrible show. No one liked the show. Okay. <laughs> it was a really bad show. We did stuff like it was the show was broken up in three sections. And like one section was called Misery Loves Three's Company. And <laughs> go with me on the idea. Um, a bunch of people go to a Three's Company um, fantasy camp where they have to dress up as the characters of Three's Company. And it falls into the plot of Misery. So this is... <laughs> It was like like a Chrissy Snow and a Jack Tripper. I and mean, it was like in a Janet. It was like real in a Mrs. Roper. It was super dense. It made sense to me. It made sense to nobody else. Um, so okay. And fun. so,
0: how, when you, I was going to ask about this a little bit later, but since we're here, how do you put together a show like that?
1: For me, it's a lot of time with, I'm very referential, I think, in the big shows. Like it's, it's important to me. I think I'm referential in my drag kind of overall. Uh, with a show, like, let's say I did a show called Ohana that was a response to president Trump winning his election. Um, and I remember feeling so defeated in that November, 2016. And then I was like, we just wrapped heels of horror. The election Mm -hmm. happened. He wins. I felt like so dejected. So I took that time period. My next show, my next main stage show was coming up in April. So from November till January, I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. I don't feel like I want to produce anything. I don't know how to do this. And then Carrie Fisher died in December. And um, mm-hmm. that was, and then Meryl Streep gets up at the Golden Globes. So and She talks about, she does, a, she does a kind of a tribute to Carrie Fisher. And at the end of uh-huh. she says she says that one of Carrie Fisher's things that she said, and I think she put it in her book, um, Wishful Drinking. I don't know where the quote comes from, but Carrie said, take your broken heart and make it into art. And I was like really profoundly moved by that. So for that show, that was the impetus for the rest of what I created. So then I spend time with music. I spend time with visuals. um, I just kind of pouring over things, listening to a lot of things, going back to things that are important to me. um, Specifically in that show was a lot of political issue and commentary. Like how I could work with it, so I work from anything with from the Muppets to Disney to political discourse and Rachel Maddow to classical Brahms, you know music. Again, and it's trying to whittle down and siphon out and comb through things that are going to tell the story that I want to tell, and it's meticulous okay. really and it's really really hard because in the shows that I was producing. Um, it's all almost pre it's pre-existing content. Like, so like mm-hmm. we're lip syncing to, um, right. and we're, and so you're trying to weave. I like in the big shows to tell a story, uh, even as light or subtle as it might be to have a through line that connects it, that is, that resonates with my message and has a, has a deep understanding of that is it hopefully celebratory or um, even a moment in the show that might p- make people take pause and think about what they're experiencing in their own life that, and how it might interact with what they're witnessing on stage you know we've done numbers like uh handmaid's tale numbers and that's and that show specifically that were like if we're not careful this is the this could be a reality and here we are now in 2021 yeah we're looking at things that are ba- the, the 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 you know it was very dangerous rhetoric that you would, I still say to myself, this, I mean, this isn't real and it is yeah. every ounce of it is. And so anyway, but the art of it all is, I, that's the, it's the most challenging part. It's the most fun part. It is the most rewarding part to, to lay everything out and vomit it all out on paper or in a Pinterest board or and not like on my walls. I mean, like I, I take note cards and I write every idea down. And it'll be all around the room, and then I'll try to organize them by what they might mean. Is that a song idea? Is that a production? And then who would be good for that production? And I start to think about cast members that I would work with or I have worked with in the past, and the talents that they bring. And where are there? Where can they best be suited to show off the best of themselves in this show? And um, it's really a painful and incredible process. <laughs> like you know, it's like it, it take, and I it was it was every drag was and is every ounce of my breath every day like i'm thinking i'm thinking about it i was thinking about it like how do i how do i convey this or that and it's right it is to me music is like a script you know like a, in a in a stage per show like so i'm trying to find the best song that tells that it gives the character the best ability to express an idea or an emotion or a thought and it's proven very successful, you know, and it, yeah. um, it peop- and that's how the show's come about. But I tell you, it's a really, it's a long process. It
0: doesn't have- And How do you, because of this is partially the market we're in, because you book it a couple months ahead of time, you know, okay, I've got two or three weeks, you're not going to extend it. Do you have any sense of mourning at all about like you create this thing and then it's just done?
1: Yeah, but you know, that's yes. One hundred percent. That is the beauty, though, of, I think, a live experience and live theater and live mm-hmm. performance is that it it is it lives on with the audience who is there to witness it that day. Yeah. And of course, it is painful to let it go because you spend all of this time and this energy and this effort on it. And of course, after it's all done, you I am always like, well, nothing's guaranteed. So I don't know if I'm going to get to do that again. You know, if, if I want to do that again. Will I get the chance to do that again? And I have always had that kind of in the back of my head saying, you know, like, if this is the last time I get to do this, I better fucking knock it out of the park. You know, I better make, I better make sure that people know where I stand. I better make sure people know where I, like, where, like what I, what my art is about to me.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And I think that, that has been the most important part of the big shows is I don't think I ever once phoned it in you know like i don't i really my goal was to let the audience have a night to let their hair down to forget about things to be re- but then to like kick them in the ass and say but remember this this is really important like right. this, this is something you should care about make them think for a minute and go okay it's still we still have, we still are together we still get to celebrate
0: and so you're writing and you're performing what other hats are you? And you're directing, directing. right? Mm-hmm. Chore- what other hats are you wearing there?
1: Producing uh, finding finding money to do the show. So it's like it is. A, it is an all hats kind of situation. The only thing I really, right. like I don't I don't choreograph. <laughs> I mean, I have, okay, I have in the past. It's not. I know where I'm. I know my my strengths and my weaknesses. It's not your skill set. So you not. have somebody else does not. that. So yeah. somebody else does that. Uh, you know, uh, in the past, it's been Crystal Something Something, Aaron Kent, who I think is a brilliant, brilliant performer and choreographer. Uh, it's been Emily Karn, who is um, just so uh, incredibly smart and uh, her body just moves in ways that I wish mine would. Um, but it's, um. so yeah, so it's, I, it also it should be said; it's a truly collaborative effort. I work a lot with my best friend Patricia Taylor on a, everything that I do as Nina, and how, you know, like she's a really excellent sounding board for me. We went to college together, and mm-hmm. um, so she was there at the kind of the inception of Nina. She knows, uh, she knows what Nina is and isn't as well as I do. She is really a part of the fabric of the character. So, and she's been a, a part of every main stage show that I've ever done. Um, she's been she was a part of my EOI package. She was a part of everything I took to drag race. so like she's right. reflected in my work Virginia ha- Virginia has been very impactful on like how like how things work initially like I wouldn't I didn't know how how to make anything happen and then you grow and you learn and you're like, okay, I gotta if I want to make this bigger, I've got to secure some sponsorships and um, you know like
0: and I was gonna ask, is that how you would finance most of no, the shows? no
1: um, we no I should say like I mean I should I, I, I think I can say this I should say that um, the drag shows really those big production shows that I was producing were costing a, co- a considerable amount of money and you would try to negotiate with business partners. Liquor brands, liquor reps, specific yeah. because you could get them in the space because they could sell their product while you're doing your show, right? And uh, the value of of what we were offering versus the value of what we were being given are two very different things. And okay, um, while it's everything helps, um, I think still on many levels, drag as an art form is not taken as seriously as um, as it should be, and so I think that that does affect the, the, the output, because I was paying, I mean, I, I would take the ticket sales and pay for the show. So, uh-huh. so like, it wasn't like there was the net profit was never like, Oh, well, they get all the table sales. That's how, I mean, that's how they're making their money. But yes, that is how the m- money is being made. But the money is, as soon as it's coming in, it's going out. So right. it's a, it was, it's, um it's a cost ratio scale that you're trying to like, like, like cost benefit ratio. And you're trying to like, well, is this worth it? And many times, I always like almost every time. I was like, "It's worth it because I need to do this. I need to say right. I want.' I want this to be a, the conversation."
0: So when you say securing money, you're talking about pre-sales, basically.
1: Yeah. So I would. So for me, I was like working on getting maybe two thousand dollars in um, liquor sponsorships from like th- three or four brands. Right you know, which is not a lot of money.
0: And having to hustle that too. And having it's to not hustle
1: easy. and negotiate that when you're really negotiating on the bar's terms. And so you have to also work through, does the bar have a relationship with this brand when I can get $2,500 from this brand that doesn't work with the bar. So I can't work mm-hmm. with them. So then I'm more, so you're relegated. So like, yeah, I mean, it's, it was a hustle and it was constant and it you, because every, I would have a show, then Virginia would have a show, then we'd have a joint show, then Virginia would have a show, then I would have a show, then we'd have a joint show. Yeah, it was a hustle, man. Like you wouldn't you could never you could never put your feet down and go, ah because once you were closed a show, rehearsal started that next Monday for the next show.
0: Yeah. You had auditioned for drag race before you were on it, right?
1: Oh Tam, I auditioned nine times. <laughs>
0: And so, I didn't, I
1: didn't like, oh, you just got it on the first time. No, I didn't.
0: <laughs> no, right. I didn't think so. No, so, what, yeah. first of all, was that audition process pretty consistent?
1: Yeah. As the years went on, I auditioned. So, season one came, and I had heard about season one um, when, while I was writing for Entertainer of the Year. They were filming in 2008, it was going to premiere in 2009. I'd heard that they were looking for drag queens to go to Los Angeles and be a part of some RuPaul project. So I didn't know really? what it was. No one knew what it was. No one really took it seriously because at the time, Rue was kind of in, the, in a down a down slump of his career. Like um, he wasn't uh, who he is today, you know. And it was it was in the between the period of the supermodel of the supermodel song being a number one dance track to right. There was a big lull, and and so no one took it seriously. And then it happened. I couldn't have auditioned anyway because I was Entertainer of the Year, and I was traveling, and I was already committed to that. To that mm-hmm. I mean, season two came around auditions and I was like well okay
0: and it had blown up at this point it became a phenomenon quickly
1: well it wasn't that's it wasn't such a big phenomenon until about season four um, okay season three season four because season one it was on logo to like it was on logo really for most of like maybe the first I don't remember I don't know that okay but Um, it really started to explode, especially within the queer community, uh, around season two, season three or four. So season two, I auditioned, didn't get it season. I mean, I didn't, I, every time I auditioned, um, I wouldn't get any feedback and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I don't know like how to approach this. And then one season, I remember one of the producers calling me, it was like season seven. It was season seven, I think. And they called me and they said, Hey, um. We're looking at your tape. Hold tight. We're going to get back with you. Give us a week. And so I'm thinking, oh my gosh, okay, I'm going to get it. This is it. This is it. Yeah. And then I find out that from, I find out because one of my friends is gone and it's gone missing and ends up on the show. Mm -hmm. A week goes by and I'm like, they're already filming. Why would they say that to me? So I took Mm -hmm. season eight audition off. I was very upset. So I didn't audition for season eight. Because you felt
0: like you got so close.
1: Well, I felt like I felt like I was being misled by producers, like, "Oh yeah, we're interested in you." And then they net, like, and then they huh. were already filming, so I don't know why they would tell me they were. In, you know, I was like very like, "This is a weird phone call." After the phone, yeah, that doesn't. I'm gonna take a break. So I did an audition for season eight, and then I auditioned for nine, ten, and eleven, and I learned a lot in the process. The audition became exceedingly more difficult, and more uh, there was more required. You know, you had to. Um, what was, you'd have to fill out, um, you know, kind of some paperwork and shoot you doing a couple snatch game characters became you have to, when I auditioned for the season that I got on, it was all of the paperwork. Uh, plus, um, you basically many challenges and okay. 20 runway looks. So they want to make sure you got a wardrobe to bring to the show. Okay. Um, and I'm
0: sorry, one thing I was going to ask uh, about the hats: you do all your own costume creation.
1: No, I don't. That's a good okay. so, um So I might have an idea that I might sketch up or I might draw up, but I do not sell my own costumes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so uh, I usually work with uh, Patrick Howell out of Lexington, Lexington Kentucky, or I, okay. work, I work with a couple designers in New York and some in Dallas and uh, two in los angeles so it just depends on who's available and who can um who can well
0: and what specifically i imagine some of them are better at certain things than others
1: yeah who's more costumey who's more evening like gown fashion yeah
0: got it and got a couple, it.
1: i actually work with a couple of designers here in columbus um, that are really great and really talented
0: and so you finally got it mm-hmm. <laughs> tell me about the process of it because i remember you had already started Dragcast, the podcast. And I think you just said to me, hey, we're going to put this on hold for a little bit.
1: Yeah, we, uh, I started Dragcast in, I don't know if you remember this, I started Dragcast in 2015, 2016. Sounds right. Yeah, 2015. And our first episode, my, like the first episode we were going to record, my dog was very, do you remember this? My dog was very sick. And it was July 3rd, July, th- uh, on the 4th of July I woke up and I had to take her to the vet and yeah. I had to put her down and we were going to record our first episode on July 6 yeah uh, I do and so um, and then we did record it but it was um, so we'd started DragCast at that point and we were doing it really religiously and yeah. then, um, 2018 came around and I said hey <laughs> <we're> gonna, <laughs> we'll take a break for a little bit um, and you're like oh okay whatever and I was going to film track tra- uh, Race yeah
0: yeah. Well, and you knew you couldn't tell people. No. That was sort of signed, part of it. Away,
1: you sign away your life. You can't like Okay. Yeah, it's a big NDA and it's a and you know, I took it so seriously that I I only worked with one designer um which I regret now. I wish I would have had more influence on my package when I took it, but the guy okay. I work with is the designer I always work with, so he really did an amazing job. It's just the judges want to see variety, right? So Right. Um, well, and so
0: you, they say to you when they hire you, they're like, "Here's your NDA," and then it's, "Here's everything you need to bring no, with you." Okay,
1: like that. I mean, like, in, so you um, you get a call, and then uh, about I, I don't remember how much time went by. Not much time goes by. Maybe like oh, five days a week, and then you start getting like paperwork of like, okay, you like you get your NDA really pretty immediately, and they really stress that if they find out that you've talked. To anyone or if it gets back to them they'll remove you from the show that is a common thing they have yeah. they have removed contestants from the show for okay. never get to fit they never even get to the film and then once you never make it they probably will never book you so like no
0: i can't imagine they would
1: so um so people take it very seriously because all the drag queens drag queen, the drag community in itself is very small so everyone talks and so you might hear from somebody in minneapolis like oh yeah Blah 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 blah. Didn't get on the show because she was running her mouth. And you're like, oh, I'm not going to run my mouth. Like, <laughs> so you just you were
0: already. So you were scared already. Oh, right. you're
1: terrified. And then you get your packet, and they kind of give you an outline. I'm not going to go into too much detail about what's in that outline, but that's right. Outline, and you have 18 days to prepare, and pack okay. seven bags at a, a, like 50 pounds each to take with you to Los Angeles to film. Um, my uh-huh. friend, my friend, Andrew Mason came up from Tampa and helped me pack, um, Mariah Ward, who, uh, is a friend of mine and Christian Cimarroni and Patricia, uh, all really helped get me together. Patrick Howell. Like it was, it was like all hands on deck, stone yeah. dresses, um, making sure the hems were finished, um, the shoes, 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 shoes that match. Um, and all of my bags, because I'm a bigger person, like this is a true story. i um, all of my bags, uh. I thought the weight restriction was so serious. It was 50 pounds a bag, seven, uh-huh. seven pounds, seven bags total. So I was trying to figure out how I could get everything there because my garments, by the, my sheer size, way more than right. someone who's five, six and 150 pounds or 120 yeah. pounds. There, you know? So like, so like the options with which you have to take are go down immensely by sheer size of my body. And so, like, I was packing my bags. Like, I had—I mean, I can't even tell you. I was hitting every bag was over, and and so I ended up taking only six pairs of shoes for a for a show that has a mini challenge every episode. So that's thirteen mini challenges, thirteen main stage challenges. Yeah, six pairs of shoes, <laughs> that's it. and. For a drag queen, I mean, like if you go back and you watch my runways, if anyone who's listening to this, you go back and watch the runways. I'm wearing. There was a pair of shoes that I spray painted, probably seven times on the runway. <laughs> Gold, green, white, yellow. I mean, I was because I didn't. But then there were other contestants who were showing up whose bags weighed like 75 pounds, and they never weighed them, and they were just pulling out all this shit. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Just say pack seven. How'd they get? right just say pack some bags and i'll pack some bags and i'll get my stuff here you know but yeah so that was like one of those things that was like a little like, kind of like a needle in the side i was like you know i just it's not set up for a big girl to bring the things that are going to ma- allow her to be as successful which is totally, yeah you know and, I've, and I've, I've i've registered my complaint they've heard me <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> Well, and it's sort of did, like I imagine they said it because it's like, well, that's the standard amount that you're not going to get charged more at the right. airport. Right. But right. you're like, I would have paid an extra twenty five dollars. I mean, to I, have some more I, shoes. At
1: that point on Drag Race, it's like, I just need to get there. Let me pay. I'll pay whatever to right. get there, you know. And um, but yeah, I mean, it was. I'll never, I mean, I re- I remember being taken to the airport um, and, you know, Virginia and Patricia and Andrew, and they all went with me to the airport. They all, uh-huh. It was just like, it was really kind of amazing and cool. And it was just a very different experience that, cha- that, that changed my whole life.
0: Yeah. And so what, fast forwarding, what are you working on now?
1: Oh my gosh. Um, well, I just did, uh, I mean, I'm working on a lot to be, Quite honest, I'm. Um, I mean, it's also COVID though, so it's really difficult to um, do what I do very well because i I think I'm definitely uh, an in-person kind of experience, you know. Like okay, um, but you know, I'm doing a lot of virtual shows. I'm hosting a lot of events um, virtually for you know universities and and companies and private shows, which has been really good. Um, I'm also doing some exciting new projects that I can't talk about holy
0: well, that's good
1: which is really good yeah it means that there's more ndas which is lovely <laughs> <NDA> <laughs> is a good thing because it means you and is
0: that all by virtue uh that kind of stuff is that by virtue of having an agent
1: no i mean um no yes and no i um i think it's uh, like like i said at the beginning of the episode i'm a hustler and i think anyone who knows me knows that i, I hustle so um i'm constantly trying to figure out how I can get closer to the things that I really want to do and like, what right. does that look like? And I don't really, so I pushed my team a lot and I'm like, you know, but my team isn't very big. I actually don't have, um, I actually don't have management. So I'm doing a lot of it on my own, which is okay. Which is great because I'm, but it's also super difficult, you know? Um, yeah. So like, What's
0: another hat you have to wear? You have to manage yeah. your own
1: I manage my own schedule. I manage yeah. my calendar. I, you know, like yeah. So, but um, I had a management team and they were great, it was just I needed. I am so used because of all of my experience in the past. I think yeah. I needed to do it myself. I I, I like relying on. I, it feels very luxurious to rely on other people, <laughs> but I like I like to do it myself because I, I. It just it feels more comfortable to me, and I don't know why that is. I don't know if that is because I come from this background of I've got to do this. I have to hustle. I, I need to, I need to make sure they get the Nina West touch. I want them to know that I am in, involved in it in some way or another. Yeah. It's important. To me. So, um, but th- I have a theatrical representation. I have television representation, um, who are agents who kind of shop me around, um, uh, right. who help, um, I think put me in the front of the right people for the right projects, but that's been really touch and go, especially during COVID. So, um, Yeah. So, I mean, I have some exciting things happening this summer, uh, some stuff that's going to be announced for this fall and winter, which are uh, big, big dreams come true. And I'm really excited to hopefully make Columbus really proud. That's the goal.
0: And I want to wrap up by asking so I asked this to, I think, most of my guests, uh-huh. you know, what, what do you think Columbus is doing really well?
1: Uh, what do I think Columbus is doing really well? Um,
0: and that could be even like, this is why I stay or like, what's great about Columbus. And there's a flip side to this question.
1: Yeah. Um, I think that what Columbus does really well, uh, in my experience for me personally, was it really helped cultivate me. Um, yeah. I was able to make mistakes here and I was able to be, uh, corrected and embraced. Um, and I think that, um, the spirit of that, the spirit of that is what in my mind is the spirit of the city. I think that there are a lot of people here who really care about people in this community. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think that that has been a, I have benefited from that. Of course, I think there's also a a downside to that. And like, you know, I, I don't know, I can't speak for everyone's experience. So like, I'm sure that people, people might be listening to this and they may be going, well, that's not my experience. And you know, I don't, you know, you know, and so like, I want to make sure like, I, like my experience has been, it's not been easy. It has not been. It's not been handed to me. Um, I have really had to, in many ways, sacrifice a lot of myself so people would feel comfortable with a drag queen being present at a GCAC event and really early, mm-hmm. on, or a drag queen being at, um, you know, the uh, the zoo really early mm-hmm. on. I mean, these were things like I I was entering spaces that we hadn't been in. And they, went, right, and like I had to sacrifice a lot of my own, like I had to bite my tongue a lot just to ensure that, like, okay, we hate, we're here, <laughs> you know, like we're stepping in this space, right, you know, and and that and I think that's a credit to the people who believed in what I was doing, what Virginia was doing, what the what this queer community represents. Um, there are people in those positions who made those decisions who said, no, no, you, this is right, and so when those yeah open, I was very quick to say, okay, like just slam the door open and slam it wide open and go, all right, we're gonna we're gonna do this because someone else But, but gonna- still
0: be still have a little bit of reverence for I am new here and you may not be completely comfortable and I'm yeah. gonna do my best to make you comfortable.
1: Yeah I don't think I sacrificed any of my integrity. Um Good. I don't think I did that. I think that uh I think that I was always Fully um, in the moment and very present and knowledgeable about what was occurring, um, but always um, very deferential to. This is bigger than me, mm-hmm. and I and I am I am uh, lucky enough to step into this, and I have to know what this means. And not and like you know not everything was good, but it, I think we have progressed a far far way from where we were in 2001 when I started.
0: Absolutely. Andrew, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Ah, I love you. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. Again, you can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Please rate, subscribe, share this episode of the Confluence Cast with your friends, family, contacts, enemies, your favorite drag queen. If you're interested in sponsoring the Confluence Cast, get in touch with us. We can be reached by email at info at theconfluencecast.com. Our theme music was composed by Benji Robinson. Our producer is Philip Cogley. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. Have a great week.